need a few more minutes? Maybe just one or two to make sure that everyone's on the line. We'll start. We'll You're listening to Spotify Earnings Call Replays. Great. Thank you. And welcome to Spotify's first quarter 2021 earnings conference call. Joining us today will be Daniel Eck, our CEO, and Paul Vogel, our CFO. We'll start with opening comments from Daniel. And after the remarks, Daniel and Paul will be happy to answer your questions. We'll again be taking questions exclusively through Slido. Questions can be submitted by going to slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com, and using the code hashtag Spotify earnings Q121. Analysts can ask questions directly into Slido, and all participants can then vote on the questions they find the most relevant. We'll start by taking one question per analyst. Once everyone's had the opportunity to ask a question, we'll be happy to address follow-up questions, time permitting. If for some reason you don't have access to Slido, you can email Investor Relations at ir at spotify.com and we'll add in your question. Before we begin, let me quickly cover the safe harbor. During this call, we'll be making certain forward-looking statements, including projections or estimates about the future performance of the company. These statements are based on current expectations and assumptions that are subject to risks and uncertainties. Actual results could materially differ because of factors discussed on today's call, in our letter to shareholders, and in filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. During this call, we'll also refer to certain non-IFRS financial measures. Reconciliations between our IFRS and non-IFRS financial measures can be found in our letter to shareholders in the financial section of our Investor Relations website, and also furnished today on Form 6K. And with that, I will turn it over to Daniel. All right. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm pleased with the continuing momentum we're seeing across many aspects of our business this quarter, including our subscriber growth. 2020 was a very strong year for Spotify, and as we reported our Q4 results, I discussed the high degree of uncertainty we knew we would continue to face in this unprecedented environment. I also shared that we likely pull forward some growth, as evidenced by our outperformance in MEU throughout this past year. In Q1, this uncertainty played out largely as expected. Several metrics like subs, revenues, gross margin, and ARPU came in a little higher, while MAU came in a little lower, but still well within our range. And some markets that we have previously seen really strong performance from, like parts of Latin America and Southeast Asia, showed some softening on the MAU side, while others in both new and mature markets continue to demonstrate really impressive growth. And while it's worth noting that of our four quarters, Q1 historically tends to be the quarter with the lowest new user activations, we also know that the world is in various stages of recovering from the pandemic. And we see that reflected in aspects of our business. And while I expect the puts and takes that we saw in Q1 to continue throughout much of this year, I still feel very confident in what's on the horizon looking at the remainder of the year and beyond. And as always, I want to focus the bulk of my time with you looking ahead. I am more confident than ever in our ability to deliver on our ambition to become the world's number one audio platform. And if you tuned in to our StreamOn event in February, you probably understand why I'm so bullish. Our strategy to move from being a streaming service to being an audio platform is really starting to come to life. Look no further than the clarified messaging we launched yesterday around how we will enable access to paid audio products on top of Spotify. I really think this positions us to truly be the audio browser of the world. And for those who may have missed it, we detailed several new innovations and enhancements in our pipeline that will benefit both creators and the users. 
And this includes our recent launch into more than 80 new markets, which has opened up a new exciting opportunity for growth. And I will share more on that in a minute. I also shared more on why I continue to believe that the opportunity in audio is still largely untapped with tremendous growth potential, far beyond what most of us can imagine today. Take music as an example. The latest numbers from IFPI just out this quarter reinforce the strength of the industry. It's seen an increase of 54% in global recorded music revenues since the 2014 low, and streaming revenues with a growth rate of more than 600% over this same time period continue to propel the industry forward. Industry sources recently forecasted that the streaming market will triple, reaching $79 billion in revenues by 2030, and Spotify continues to be the primary driver that is pushing global music revenues to record highs. Related to this, look no further than the price increases we just announced across 12 key markets, including the UK and US. And we did this on the back of successful rollouts in the previous two quarters when we implemented price increases in more than 30 markets. The positive data we continue to see in terms of the value users see in Spotify underscores the significant opportunity here, and you should expect that we will continue to leverage increases as we evaluate market conditions. I hope you've also checked out our new site, Loud and Clear, which is increasing transparency on the economics of music streaming. There, you'll see the number of the most listened artists in the world is growing, and it's more diverse than ever. As more artists are finding success, the bigger the impact we, as a platform, can have in serving them and their teams. And the more successful artists there are, the more impact we can have on creating an even better consumer experience. Speaking of consumer experience, we continue to see lots of opportunities to enhance our user experience across the board, and you should expect us to move quickly and invest aggressively when we do. Because the broader audio market is still in its infancy compared to music, the opportunities to innovate there are immense and evolving fast and furiously. We have long enjoyed a first mover advantage, and we will continue to prioritize introducing new capabilities across all facets of audio. Our recent acquisition of the live audio room, Locker Room, is an example of this commitment to improving our experience. We want to be the absolute best partner to creators by giving them opportunities to create and grow and engage and monetize their art and fan base. And we have some exciting plans for Locker Room, and we will share more details in the coming weeks. And while we decided early to go all in on audio, it's giving us a head start of more than a decade and unrivaled size and scale. Others are, of course, taking notice. This isn't surprising at all, given the enormous size of the audio market, which some projections indicate could be valued at $200 billion by 2030. Competition is nothing new for us. We saw it in music and always expected others to jump on the audio train when they realized how attractive it is to billions of listeners around the world. We believe we have at least five to seven X growth left in the business we are in today, music, podcasting, and paid audio, and we intend to win in those businesses. All that said, you should expect us to remain focused on our core pillars. For consumers, this is delivering a great consumer experience through freemium, ubiquity, and personalization. And for creators, it is a maniacal focus on serving them through a personalized marketplace set of offerings and not one size fits all. As always, 
when we see opportunities that we believe will strengthen our capabilities for creators or consumers, you should expect us to prioritize the long term over the short term. And to help realize our ambitions, over the last couple of months, we've led our most sweeping geographic expansion to date, turning Spotify on in more than 80 new markets across Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Caribbean and Latin America. And in doing so, we're introducing the passions, the creativity, the sounds and cultures of creators in these markets to a global audience. We are ramping up quickly, evolving our content and adjusting our product as we learn about what makes the most sense on a hyper-local level. These are only a few examples of the tangible efforts underway, and we will continue to aggressively pursue opportunities to expand our content and our offerings and enhance our user experience in spite of the uncertain environment. And with that, I'll turn, turn it back to Brian for questions. All right, thanks, Daniel. Again, if you've got any questions, please go to slido.com, hashtag Spotify earnings Q121. Once your question is entered, you can edit or withdraw your question by selecting the option in the bottom right. We'll be reading the questions in the order they come in with respect to how people vote up their preference for questions. And our first question today is going to come from Doug Admeth at JP Morgan. <clears throat> you noted that the percentage of MAUs consuming podcasts was consistent quarter to quarter, but you saw a strong increase in podcast consumption hours. Can you explain potential reasons for the delta there? And can you comment on how much of total consumption hours are currently podcasts? Paul, do you want yeah, to go? I'll, yeah, I'll start with that one. Um, so I, um, yeah, at a high level, Doug, the consumption hours were very strong. They're up about 20% quarter over quarter. So we feel really good about that. When you look at the percentage of podcast MAU relative to total MAU, <clears throat> some of that is kind of dependent on the, on the point in time that the quarter ends. And so December, uh, had a very strong, uh, month, uh, particularly with, uh, Joe Rogan going exclusive. But when you look at the average podcast MAU over the average MAU over the period, um, it was up from Q1. Uh, over Q4. And when you look at the trend over the last um, really six, seven, eight quarters, uh, but particularly the last um, four quarters, that average growth in podcast MAU to average MAU has been up about 150 basis points uh, quarter over quarter. So we feel really good about uh, the overall trends in podcast MAU. Uh, and sometimes there's a little bit of lumpiness in the actual reporting just on how any one you know, quarter ended with respect to new releases or launches uh, or exclusivity. Um, and in terms of how much consumption, we don't break out um, how much consumption is on podcasts. I will say that March hit an all-time high in terms of the amount of podcast consumption uh, on the platform. All right. <clears throat> Our next question comes from Rich Greenfield at Lightshed. Everyone appears to be getting into the live audio business following Clubhouse. I'm curious how you think about live audio as a feature versus a standalone product and how creators will decide where to go live, whether it be Spotify, Clubhouse, or another platform. Yeah, this is Daniel. Um, you know, I, I think um, live audio is clearly something that uh, you should expect as capabilities go. Pretty much every major platform will have. In my expectation, it's really no different than uh, how you think about uh, stories. Um, stories today exist on a format on a number of uh, platforms, uh, including Spotify, including, of course, Instagram, Snap, and many others. Uh, so I do look at this as a, a compelling feature set, and I think creators will engage in the places where they have the best sort of creator uh, to fan affinity for the type of interactions that they're looking for. Uh, and I think this is very similar to, say, how stories played out historically. 
All right. Our next question comes from Mario Liu at Barclays. You recently announced pricing of podcast subscription for for uh, content creators uh, undercuts your competition. Are there opportunities outside of the podcast subscription itself that you can monetize to receive better than 5% economics? I think this is a long-term play uh, for us in, in terms of uh, podcasting, but I do want to go back and just um, talk about here why I think this is important. As many of you know, um, we have for now the better part of more than two years um, talked about how we believe openness is what's going to be important and drive innovation across the ecosystem. And the most important thing for us is that uh, we play by those rules. And I think what we're, uh, we announced yesterday is just a very, very compelling product for creators where they have control. They have control in how they can message their consumers. They have control in how they can monetize their consumers. It's just a very attractive proposition that creators are, are very, very excited uh, about and want to work with us. Um, as revenue opportunities goes um, going forward from that, I think that there's so many tools that we can create for creators and for consumers alike. And there'll be plenty of uh, revenue opportunities that will be coming from that. Um, so look at this as the beginning. And uh, again, as I've said many times before, we're in the early innings of audio. Uh, and the key thing right now is still moving offline linear uh, audio listening to online on-demand uh, listening. And that's the trend line that we're pursuing. And um, uh, there will be lots and lots of opportunities for finding uh, monetization paths between creators and consumers into the future. All right, we'll go to the next question. Mark Mahaney at ISI. <clears throat> Why did you reduce your full year MAU guidance but maintain your full year premium subscriber outlook? What's causing better than expected conversion of MAUs into premium subs? Um, yeah, I'll start with that one. You know, I think for us, if you look at the the guidance, a lot of it is just um, uh, taking into account the the coming to the bottom of the range in Q1 on the MAU side, and the sub side was actually uh, stronger than expected. I think if you take a step back, we when we started the year, we did say we expected some greater val uh, variability within some of our metrics. I would say actually um, we probably had more concern on the sub side. So the fact that the subs number came in better than expected um, is, is really positive for us. Um, and in terms of conversion, I would say um, kind of if you look at the subs to MAU ratio, um, it was uh, up in Q1. It's still a lower Q1 this year than it was Q1 last year. And typically what you see for us, and, and you'll see this if you look at the history of Spotify, there's always some kind of waves where MAU seems to be um, the bigger driver and then subs becomes a bigger driver. And a big function of that is, when you have periods of time where MAU grows very, very fast, it grows at the top of the funnel, but it normally takes six, nine, 12 months for us to convert those free users into uh, premium paying subscribers. So it's actually very logical to see uh, that growth in, in MAU that we saw last year and translate into subs uh, down the line. So um, actually all the numbers are pretty consistent with what we expected. And I think we feel still feel really good about the overall trends uh, in user growth and, uh, and particularly subscriber growth. All right, next question comes from Ben Swinburne at Morgan Stanley. <clears throat> what percentage of your users have seen price increases thus far? If that's not having a material impact on top of funnel growth, can you elaborate more on what you see as the drivers of MAU softness relative to expectations? Um, yeah, I guess I'll start with that one as well. Um, 
So we haven't disclosed the actual number of, uh, of subs affected by price increases, but we're in over 40 markets right now. Um, I think we feel good about what we have uh, accomplished so far in terms of price increases. When you look at uh, gross additions and churn, uh, we've seen very uh, minimal impact on either one of those metrics. So we feel good about um, the price increases. Um, yeah, price increases wouldn't really impact top of funnel because top of funnel is, is sort of the free users. So there's really no impact on there. I think, you know, like a, a lot of folks, we saw exceptionally strong uh, 2020. Uh, we did see um, a pickup in MAU growth starting in March of last year uh, that in hindsight looks to be, uh, you know, somewhat correlated to, to COVID in some ways. Um, and so there's just a little bit of, uh, of that comparison. But um, in general, I think, you know, we expected some variability. Um, so it's not surprising to us. It was in sort of the, the um, complete range of our expectations. And like I said, I think we feel really good about the fact that uh, we're able to grow subscribers faster than, uh, than expected. Okay, next question from Jason Bazinet at City. Investors tend to think of Spotify as very sticky, implying low churn rates. You've made progress on churn, but it's still high relative to other subscription-based businesses like Sirius, DirecTV, et cetera. What causes churn to remain elevated and what's your long-term churn goal? Yeah, I would actually argue our churn is not high. Um, I think in markets where we're established, our churn is at, at really good levels and we're growing really, really fast. And the, when you grow into newer markets where you're a newer product, churn tends to be higher and it comes down over time. So the fact that our churn rate continues to come down is, uh, is a positive for us. I don't think we've ever uh, put out an actual churn target, um, but I do think you can expect it to continue to come down over time. So I think we feel really good about it. I, as I said, I think the churn in, in some of our more mature markets um, or at levels that you would expect of businesses that are that are mature, um, and um, I also think that um, you know when you kind of when you think about the mix between the, the mature markets and the and the growing markets, uh, the the churn is uh, is pretty appropriate for the level of growth we have right now. Okay, our next question is going to come from Matt Thornton at Truist. Can you talk about the Facebook partnership? How creative you think it could be to the business? as well as car thing, including how you're thinking about go-to-market? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, these are obviously two very um, different um, partnerships, but they fall under the same strategy for us, which is ubiquity. And so when you look at Facebook as an example, it's obviously one of the world's largest platforms reaching billions of consumers around the world. And one of the key insights for us has been um, just how many Spotify users are constantly sharing their tracks um, on um, um, Facebook and Instagram and other social platforms and expressing themselves that way. So you should you should look at uh, this as a way of reducing friction, uh, which will, of course, enable a much better uh, experience. So uh, it's too early to say um, what the overall Im impact will be, but Generally speaking, when you reduce the friction for consumers, you tend to see great results. And I, I have high hopes uh, that the Facebook partnership can certainly do that. Um, and then when it comes to the car thing, I think, uh, again, um, you know, the most important thing as you think about audio products is that the car happens to be a major use case. So um, if you look at the car radio, which is still today where most of the offline um, you know, radio listening happens, it is pretty clear that it's it's ongo an ongoing transformation that is going on. Um, you know, if you look at um, cars like Tesla, et cetera, you see it very clearly where these streaming services now is the de facto radio in the car. And so car thing is our uh, attempt of speeding up that progress into a future where uh, you will have 
just as great experience as you have on your mobile in your car. And you can now use that as, as your sort of in-car entertainment system instead of these antiquated uh, radio systems that most people have in the car. And early results, uh, it's just um, very, very encouraging. Uh, it seems like we really struck a chord with what consumers want. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of excitement, but it's of course very, very early. And I think based on how people will use the product, et cetera, we will uh, certainly think a lot more about what the appropriate go-to-market strategy will be and how we can most effectively roll it out. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> Next question will be uh, from Deepak at Wolf Research. Given the recent launch of several new offerings, can you discuss your updated thoughts on potential gross profit contribution from marketplace in fiscal 21 and in the next few years? Daniel, do you want to talk about marketplace at a high level and then I can talk about the, the gross margin um, directly? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. We're very, very early in uh, our efforts of moving the entire music industry from this one-size-fits-all to a more individual offering. And the way we're we're taking that approach is we're trying to create a really across the whole audio stack, even beyond music as well, uh, just creating more opportunities for creators to create, uh, for them to be able to distribute, for them to be able to grow their audience, and for them to be able to monetize their audience. And most of the marketplace products that we have today is just um, enabling music creators um, to be able to grow their audience. And uh, the early response um, that we've had on those products have just been phenomenal with many artists seeing twice the um, uplift that they have from other marketing channels and really, really strong retention from customers as well that are engaging with these products. Uh, I think um, there's a lot of excitement uh, in the uh, music community among the people who have used these products and we're kind of gradually rolling it out and having more and more um, artists and teams um, experimenting with our products. Yeah, and then just from a gross margin, um, we, we haven't given out specific targets, but I would say um, we talked about at the end of uh, a year ago in terms of where we were. Um, and then we had significant growth in, in 2020, expected significant growth again in 2021. And, and um, right now, um, Marketplace was uh, um, in line with expectations in Q1, and we expected to have another really uh, strong growth year for us in 2021. Um, and it is starting to uh, be a positive contributor to uh, to growth margin, gross margin, and we expect it to uh, continue to grow uh, over time. Uh, we haven't given any specific targets up, but we, we do feel good about um, kind of the, the ramp over the last year or so. All right, our next question is going to come from Justin Patterson at KeyBank on advertising. Um, could you elaborate more on the strength in podcast advertising and how are advertisers responding to SAI technology? Um, yeah, podcast advertising was strong in the quarter. Um, organically, it was very strong. And then when you throw on top of it, um, JRE or Joe Rogan and uh, Ringer um, and Megaphone, um, it's really starting to see an accelerant uh, to growth on the advertising side. Um, SAI, SAI is in, in high demand. Um, there's, uh, the feedback has been great uh, as we roll that out into to more areas within the advertising business and, and more areas within, in podcasting. We expect it to be uh, a big driver of, of growth, I would say. If you take a, um, a high level view of, uh, of advertising in general, um, I think from a, a product, a technology standpoint, from an innovation standpoint, uh, we think we're really just um, scratching the surface of where we're going to go. 
uh, and we feel really good about the the, the tech stack we're um, investing in. Uh, we feel really good about all the uh, incremental inventory we have with respect to Megaphone um, and Joe Rogan and The Ringer and Parcast and Gimlet um, and Anchor products. And so I think we feel really, really good about the, the opportunity for us to um, to really drive advertising in, across the business. Okay, next question is going to come from Richard Kramer at Ariti. It's on pricing. Do you expect competitors to match your price increases in key markets like the U.S. and in the UK? Um, so I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest, um, but that was never a deciding factor in how we uh, approached the decision. Uh, we focused on our business and the data that we're seeing. Um, and there, the the it's very, very, com- uh, very, very clear and very, very compelling data, which is we see enormous amounts of engagement with our consumer, and it's been growing year over year over year as we've been improving the proposition, both in terms of personal, better personalization, better um, pro, uh, features, but obviously expanding the content library significantly with the addition of, of um, podcasting and exclusives as well. So I think it's on the back of that that you should read uh, that we feel very comfortable about doing that. And you should obviously look at our expansion of these price increases as uh, that we see this strategy working. All right, next question from John Egbert at Stiefel. Can you discuss how Locker Room complements your existing spoken word content strategy? What are some of the immediate synergies uh, you see with your existing offering? Do you view linear consumption of spoken word audio as a more interesting opportunity than live music streaming? Yeah, so I think the first and foremost important thing is to visualize Spotify as a platform. So we have over 8 million creators and uh, obviously more than 350 million um, users on this platform. And, and most of the time, the number one thing that our users are asking us help is help me find more great content. And the number one question our creators are asking us is help me connect with my fans in more ways. So live, you should really view live as the opportunity for uh, creating new and meaningful ways to connect uh, creators and, and fans. Uh, that's how we look at it. And then as platforms mature and, and features on platform mature, usually the features in the beginning tend to be uh, creators um, that are experimenting a lot more are probably not the most successful creators that jump on the platform. And then um, as, as, as more people start engaging with a feature and a medium, you start seeing more and more professional creators jump on board. So I think it's probably gonna, going to start out uh, with spoken word content, uh, but specifically as it relates to Spotify, I think that there will be a lot of musicians that want to engage uh, in everything from you know speaking to their fans to having listening parties and all other things because it's so clear to them that on the Spotify platform, that engagement drives meaningful uh, conversion to monetization opportunities just on the basis of our revenue model. Okay, next question is going to come from Maria Rips at Conaccord. Live audio is a fast-growing space, but also one that gained popularity during the pandemic when people were spending more time at home. How does Spotify plan to integrate this feature within its audio ecosystem to make it just as useful when people are back in their normal routines? I think it really just comes down to 
creating compelling content. Um, you know, as an example, um, again, you can imagine as in the previous question, we may have uh, an artist that has an upcoming um, album and you um, as, as the um, fan uh, may be able to experience that earlier than, than other consumers can. Or you can have uh, an artist explain what the thinking around uh, writing a certain song was. And you can obviously have uh, comedians and other people engage uh, on topics um, uh, that they are currently experiencing or imagining. So I think it really comes down to the quality of the content. Um, and um, I think, you know, when I look at our 8 million creators, we have some of the world's best storytellers on the platform. And, and that's ultimately uh, what people will tune into. Um, and that's what matters. I would also just add, you know, with our ubiquity strategy, we've been able to sort of pivot in both directions. And so you think about when people start first started being at home a lot more and interacting with game consoles and and voice speakers, um, we sort of leaned into that, which was which was super great. And and when people start traveling and being out again, um, they'll be able to use other devices just as equally. And so having that sort of ubiquity strategy, having our platform um, and Spotify on as many devices as possible has allowed us to be successful no matter how you're, how and where and when you're using audio content. Okay, next question from Lloyd Walmsley at Deutsche Bank. Based on the improvement in churn, it would appear that gross premium subscriber additions didn't really grow year on year in the quarter despite opening up new markets. Do you think gross ads, uh, the growth in gross ads, will be declining on a year-on-year basis going forward, or can you grow those again? I'm not going to comment specifically on gross ads. Um, I will say our gross ads were very strong uh, in the quarter. Um, um, without getting into too much of the technicals, I think because we give you guys rounded numbers and not actual numbers, sometimes trying to back into our gross ad numbers can be misleading. But I will say our gross ads were, were strong in the quarter. Um, so we feel we feel good about that, um, and we feel good about the overall um, subs number um, uh, in general. And so, um, yeah, no no comment other than that. But I, I feel good about the gross ads and the net ads, um, it, both for the quarter and for the year. And and also just in terms of your new markets, obviously as you can imagine a lot of those new markets take a little while to ramp. So um, there wasn't really an expectation um, that there'd be massive increases in subscribers or new markets, although they performed, you know, in line with our expectations. Okay, next question from Nick Delfos at Redburn. How do your DAUs compare to your MAUs? And are you seeing lower engagement? Is that why MAUs were below expectations this quarter? Um, the DAU to MAU ratio has, has been pretty steady. Um, both overall and for premium and ads, it's actually, um, you know, in general, been ticking up a little bit across um, both over uh, over the average of the last couple of quarters. So we feel good about that ratio. Um, and I think we've talked about the MAU a lot. Um, there was, you know, some pull forward. We had a very strong uh, 2020 in general, um, but we feel good about the overall trajectory. We, we still feel good about the overall um, number of net additions we expect in MAU for the, for the full year. Uh, and engagement remains really solid on the platform. Okay, next question from Mike Morris at Guggenheim. How does your share of listening in the car compare to your broader share of overall listening? How significant is this segment of the market? Can broader distribution of car thing be a step toward meaningful engagement expansion? 
Yeah, I think that's exactly the right way to look at it. Uh, I mean, if you look at audio as a category, um, it has three distinct uh, you know, use cases. One is in the home, one is on the go, and one is in the car. In the home, it obviously competes with other forms uh, of media like video, et cetera. Um, uh, on the go, um, you there's a lot of things you can do, but audio happens to be a very strong um, medium there too. And in the car, um, obviously video um, and other type of, of sort of immersive experiences is not very common. Um, so audio uh, there happens to be a very, very big part of uh, overall what people do in the car. And especially in the US, uh, the car use case is obviously massive. So I think you should look at car thing as a way of, of us sort of um, full stack going in and reimagining what the user experience in the car for the next gen car um, entertainment system should look like. Um, and this is our version of that. And I think this is also why, you know, it's it's so pleasing to see, um, you know, the early results of that and how engaged consumers were um, and, and just sharing the message and being super excited about that. So, so we're very encouraged with it, but it's very early days. Okay, next question from Andrew Marock at Raymond James. With Q1 podcasting MAU penetration consistent with Q4 levels, but consumption hours increasing, how are you thinking about the opportunity in terms of increasing podcast penetration versus driving more engagement with existing podcast users? Yeah, I, I touched on this in the in the earlier question, but uh, in general, I think the podcast MAU penetration continues to move up. Uh, as I said, we had a, um, a really good growth last year in Q4 in particular, where we're up about 300 basis points quarter over quarter. Um, and December in particular was strong given some of the uh, exclusivity uh, that we had um, uh, in December. But in general, again, if you look at the average um, podcast MAU over the average MAU over the last couple of quarters, that continues to trend up. And so we expect that the overall um, percentage of, of uh, MAU who engage with podcasts will continue to move up. So we feel like um, you know, that line is, uh, and that curve is, is really, really strong. Um, and, um, and engagement, engagement has continued to move up. Um, we're seeing it in new users and in and existing podcast users, and it was up very strong, uh, quarter over quarter. So we feel like the engagement is there and it will continue to lead to more podcast podcast usage overall. Okay. Next question from Mark Z at Rosenblatt Securities. Could you discuss the variables uh, in, in the low versus high end of your gross margin guidance? I assume that's for fiscal 21. Um, yeah, I mean, there's always a, a number of things that go into that. I mean, I think one of it is is content and the speed with which we continue to grow um, the content base. Um, so there's a, an element of that, that that's in there. As I've said in the past, uh, I think overall music uh, margins will be um, you know, flattish for the most part. Um, there's always some variability, but for the most part, flattish. Um, we do see some some benefits from marketplace. So the upside or downside on, on marketplace as well can be a driver. Um, and just on the other cost of revenue, um, we actually have seen a little bit more leverage on things like streaming delivery and payments than we expected, um, at least in the first quarter. It was a little bit better than we thought. So um, how that trends over time uh, will also dictate it. So those are sort of the main, um, the main points. Um, as you did see, we did raise the gross margin guidance for the for the full year. Um, so we do feel like uh, right now we're on pace to, to have a little bit better of a gross margin year than, than we expected when we started the year. Okay, we've got a question from uh, Stephen Cahal at uh, uh, Wells Fargo. <clears throat> 
excuse me. It, well, it looks like, uh, can you tell us what per user consumption hours are in North America and Europe where they grew in the quarter and in developing regions where there was some COVID pressure in Q1? Yeah, I, I don't believe we've given out that number in the past. Um, so uh, there's nothing really I can add to that other than to the, um, and we haven't really said specific um, uh, growth rates or, or regions, but as, as I did say, the the overall consumption, I think it's in your question, you know, it has above COVID levels uh, in many markets and in some markets where it was weak, um, that hasn't come that hasn't come all the way back, they are improving. So again, we feel good in general about uh, consumption trends across the platform. All right, uh, next question from Atlantic Equities. <clears throat> I believe that's Hamilton Faber. Can you talk about monetization models for live and if how these differ from your current capabilities and what you need to drive this new opportunity? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm really, really uh, excited about this. Um, and I think this is one of the areas where um, we can learn a lot from what's happening in China in particularly, which has a lot more sort of developed ecosystem when it comes to live products, et cetera. So obviously right now, our primary focus is just uh, creating uh, more meaningful engagement on live products uh, across the base. And this is about getting our 8 million creators to interact with the hundreds of millions of consumers that are on the Spotify platform. But over time, uh, I think that this will be a, a, a very, very big potential from a revenue standpoint, uh, in addition to these um, existing models uh, that we have today. But I also do want to kind of up-level this question for a moment, which is if you really think about this, the, the real big transition for us in these past few years has really been obviously from, from music to being audio. But the other trend line that's very clear, as I said in my opening regards, is going from a music service to being an audio platform. And if you think about that audio platform um, narrative for a moment, it really has a few core pillars. One of them is create, one of them is um, distribute, another one of them is engage, and the fourth pillar is monetization. So we are investing massively in all four of these pillars, uh, making it easier for creators to create. You can imagine that with, with uh, sort of live experiences, uh, making it easier for people to distribute their content, Anchor being a great example where we're uh, consistently just innovating on music and talk, um, um, you know, other types of format that just allows creators to express themselves um, in different ways. Um, and then, of course, growing people's fan base um, and create new forms of uh, engagement with um, their audience. And then lastly, of course, monetization, where you have everything from SAI to, um, you know, subscription packages that we announced yesterday, this is a massive roadmap that the company um, has taken on and that you're seeing us execute on. And I'm really, really pleased with uh, the early innings of how that platform now is coming to life. And I think over the long term, um, you know, that's what I'm super excited about because we have, you know, this audience now of 350 million and these 8 million creators. And it's really about creating ac across this create, distribute, engage, and monetize creating more and more avenues for these two groups to connect with each other, engage with each other, and um, monetize uh, those engagement. Um, so yeah, very, very encouraged and very early days on the evolution of the audio ecosystem. Okay, and uh, we're gonna go to the next question from uh, Jessica Reef Ehrlich at Bank of America, another one on car thing. 
What's the timing um, uh, on a broader rollout for this initiative? And what are the incremental revenue opportunities that Spot can capture by targeting in the car? Um, so early days, still, um, still shipping uh, the product um, to the consumers that have signed up. Um, so it's too early to say. I think from a broader roll-up perspective, uh, but as, as we, um, you know, mentioned there, um, um, when we roll it out broader, it will likely have a consumer price point uh, as well, and not be um, a, a free product as it has been in this uh, early. Uh, early innings. Okay. And um, uh, we're going to go now to uh, follow-up questions. Uh, we've got time actually for uh, uh, one more. Um, and that's going to come from John Egbert at Stiefel. How much interest are you getting among megaphone publishers and other podcast creators looking to participate in the Spotify audience network? Are you sensing any hesitance to participate from larger, more established creators and how quickly do you expect network inventory to scale in 2021? Yeah, I guess I'll start with that one. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit, it's too early to tell. I think we're super optimistic about what the audience network will be able to, prov to provide um, both to uh, the publishers and the advertisers, as well as us in terms of just broadening out the, um, uh, the amount of inventory, the audience they can reach, uh, the targeting capabilities, and then you sort of throw on top of it things we're doing with SAI. And we think there's a lot of opportunity to uh, grow the overall uh, market in podcasting. We we know there's a ton of demand out there um, from podcast advertisers and folks who want to uh, advertise on podcasting. Um, and all of the recent uh, enthusiasm about podcasting uh, and audio content has only helped that. So I think we feel really good about where we are. And I think we're um, super pleased having made that acquisition um, last year in terms of where we're set up for the future. All right, great. So um, uh, we're out of time now for Q&A. So I will turn the call back over to Daniel for some closing remarks. Well, thank you, Brian. Um, in my experience, the key to our future success is to stay focused on our long-term opportunity. And short-term, we will continue to perform while rolling out with the ups and downs inherent in challenging and unpredictable environments. Put another way, we at Spotify are stubborn on vision, but flexible on the details of execution. We will continue to experiment and prioritize being nimble and accelerate plans when the opportunity makes sense. And in this audio world, where creators and consumers are at the heart of everything we do, we see ourselves as a huge catalyst for growth. And we're committing to holding ourselves accountable to living in a constant state of improvement. This is what drives me and the team to come to work each and every day. And I'll be talking more about our earnings report on our podcast for the record, which will go live on our platform tomorrow. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Okay, and that concludes today's call. A replay of the call will be available on our website and also on the Spotify app under Spotify Earnings Call Replays. Thanks again, everyone, for joining. For more information, check out investors.spotify.com.